Since the beginning of the pandemic, the American Medical Association has led the fight against COVID-19. As the nation copes with the effects of the crisis, we continue to offer tireless advocacy and expert resources. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. This episode is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Today, we're talking with Dr. Peter Hotez about how we prioritize science and vaccine development and other COVID-related issues in the months ahead. Dr. Hotez is the Dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine and co-director of the Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development in Houston, Texas. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Dr. Hotez, it's been about four months since we last spoke and a lot's happened since then. Uh, One thing that hasn't changed though is that we continue this uphill battle to put science first, particularly around vaccine development. Can you talk about what's happening from your vantage point and have we seen anything like this before? Well, you know, we've seen this very uh, mixed picture in terms of the science. I think the science overall is going well. Um, uh, We're scaling up production of uh, our low-cost global health COVID-19 vaccine uh, in India. Uh, preparing now with Biological E to produce a billion doses, and that's exciting. We've never made a billion of anything before. Uh, And Operation Warp Speed, I think, overall is going uh, pretty well in terms of the scientific rigor of of the clinical trials and the integrity of the clinical trials. But, you know, there's a lot of, uh, it's being surrounded by a lot of poor communications, or in some cases, outright disinformation. So, you know, the way Operation Warp Speed has worked is it's not really had a communication plan, which I think is a mistake because there's been that strategic decision to leave the communications to the pharma CEOs. And I think it's been a very mixed bag in terms of how that's going. In some cases, the pharma CEOs have not really been very attentive to how the public perceives vaccines, sort of tone deaf to the fact that we have a pretty aggressive anti-vaccine movement uh, out there. Uh, And so when you have things like pauses that weren't previously revealed to the public, or all of the stock trading that goes along and tends to undermine confidence. So my, my you know, worry is, I mean, the good news is the science is proceeding well and I have uh, pretty good uh, confidence in how the FDA is working and, and ensuring adequate uh, scientific uh, rigor and integrity of the clinical trials, but the communications is not going well. It's interesting, just like in so many places, uh, lots of focus on product and not a lot on communications. And that is a problem, especially, you know, we have uh, a fear of vaccines uh, and it's something you've addressed for many years in the pandemic or prior to the pandemic. You know, in the environment that we're in now, what needs to happen to increase vaccine confidence so that we when we have a vaccine, uh, people actually agree to get it? And and right now, I think as of today, there's a new survey coming along showing that about 40% of Americans will refuse COVID-19 vaccines, even if they're made available. And I and I think there's there's a a multi-dimensional approach to this. First of all, I do think it's going to be really important that Operation Warp Speed implement a communications plan. 
And it's not only around vaccine confidence, but remember, there's an enormous amount of information that's going to have to be conveyed. Some of these, there's many different vaccines. Some will protect better than others. Some will be partially protective. Some will be completely protective against the virus. In some cases, we'll need to continue masks and social distancing. In some cases, the durability of protection may not be very, you know, the protection may not last very long, in which case, People will need to get boosted. You get boosted with the same vaccine or different vaccine. All those things we're talking about, none of that is being messaged to the American people. The other thing I've uh, been trying to stress is the fact that I get asked all the time, hey, Dr. Hotez, which vaccine are you going to take? And and what I say is I'm not going to answer that question because it's the wrong question to ask. It's really what vaccine will be made available early on. I'm 62 years old. I'm really worried about going through this winter without having virus neutralizing antibodies on board through vaccination. So what I'm saying is, look, take whatever vaccine you can get uh, in order to get virus neutralizing antibody in your system. Later, you can worry about being boosted either with the same vaccine or a different vaccine, but uh, this is not a time to uh, hold off uh, on getting vaccinated. Again, none of that is being messaged. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is the fact that uh, we do have this very aggressive anti-vaccine disinformation campaign out there. There's, you know, they're dominating the internet, 480 fake anti-vaccine websites, uh, many of the e-commerce sites are actively promoting anti-vaccine material. The one place that I tend to depart from a lot of my colleagues, I think most of my colleagues are all in about amplifying the pro-vaccine message, where I tend to be a little bit uh, alone on, or not entirely, but partly alone, is is I believe it's really important to actually take down the anti-vaccine disinformation. Uh, this has evolved into a into a disinformation empire and it's doing a lot of damage and and actually taking it down will do a lot because I think just focusing on the message, I I point out it's a message in a bottle in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean giving that it's swamped by all of the fake anti-vaccine messages and this fake health freedom movement and everything else. And we're gonna need to take that down. What's What's that mean, take that down? Well, I know I think it's going to mean uh, taking some of the lead anti-vaccine organizations, getting them off Facebook and Twitter and uh, and uh, and other forms of of social media. I think that that's going to be really important. Uh, And I think that would be a a real and I thought we were going to reach that point after measles returned to the U.S. in March last uh, last year and the. Senate Help Committee and the House Oversight Subcommittee held hearings, but they kind of dropped the ball on that. And so so that never really happened. So taking down the fake uh, anti-vaccine information uh, off the internet from the major organizations, looking at these political action committees now, there are multiple states that are raising money uh, and lobbying uh, the legislature to make it harder and harder to vaccinate our kids. That's got to stop as well. And, and the problem is no one really has the appetite for that. The, uh, the, the federal government so far has not seen that as their fight. Uh, and, and also the fact that a lot of these anti-vaccine activities have aligned themselves with political movements and uh, especially some of the extremist far right wing uh, uh, elements. I, the irony is that's actually insulated them because nonprofits 
you know, by their 501c3 status, say they can't be engaged in political activities, and therefore they don't they don't address it. So, uh, so we've got a lot of work to do, and and the stakes are high because the other thing that's happening now is we're starting to see number one that an, what was an anti-vaccine movement now under this fake banner of health freedom has become a full-blown anti-science movement. They not only campaign against vaccines, but also now against masks and contact tracing and social distancing, all the needs, all the things we need to do to fight COVID-19, especially now that we're entering into our worst period uh, where the number of cases is really accelerating. We're going to be up at over 70,000 new cases a day, and the projections are the deaths are going to double. And we have now what's a full-on anti-science movement telling the American people, uh, don't wear masks, forget about that social distancing and contact tracing. This is going to be deadly. And then we have now the uh, the export of the anti-vaccine movement uh, into Europe. Uh, there's been uh, rallies uh uh, in in Trafalgar Square in London, in Paris, in Berlin, in Germany, where leaders of the anti-vaccine movement are the featured speakers, and and it's co-sponsored by QAnon and and some of the uh, and 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 the CBS News is reporting even the one of the neo-Nazi parties in Germany. So this has taken a very sort of dark and ominous turn. And I think we have to intervene before this really gets out of hand. And we may, it may already be out of hand, and I think there's a good chance it already is. Um, is there anything that you see uh, physicians being able to do, uh, you know, in the face of movements like this? Well, you know, certainly uh, situational awareness and, and get educated as, as to what's happening, because, you know, remember, your patients are coming in uh, loaded for bear in many cases. Uh, they don't mean to be uh, on the side of anti-science, but they're so inundated with misinformation that that's all they're hearing. So I think it's really important that physicians uh, get educated about what the uh, the bad guys are, are saying about science and medicine and health and vaccines. I think the other piece, and, and Mike, we've talked about this before, is we're going to need to start training a new generation of physicians on how to do public engagement, how to how to talk to the public. Uh, in the past, we haven't done that. It was, uh, you know, in my, when I was being trained, getting my MD and PhD, the message was you don't engage the public directly. You don't talk to journalists. That was seen as a form of grandstanding or self-promotion. And all those ideas are antiquated and we're built were built in place put in place before something called the internet came along and social media and the world has changed and this is why i'm so eager to do podcasts with with the ama and i'm really glad the ama is out in front on this issue because it's it's a huge threat to the health of the american people yeah the rules have really changed there and it's not something that you know obviously not something you're taught in medical school or even that you need to do and that's you know, part of why we have updates like this is to yeah, provide and, the and platform. you know, it, it's it's not even in the culture of academic health centers. You know, most uh, offices of communications and academic uh, academic health centers and medical schools, they're you know, ours is really good, and and I've had a I've had a great time working with ours at Baylor and Texas Children's. But the rule outside of that is. Uh, they're they're very risk averse. They're all about protecting, you know, the reputation of the institution, 
And the idea that their docs are going to be out there talking about controversial issues or campaigning for social justice, that doesn't fit with that narrative. And so they're, they're, not only did they not encourage it, in many cases, they discourage it. And certainly there's no place on your annual evaluation form, right, for the number of uh, interviews that you've done or, you know, how active you are on social media or Twitter. That's just not in the DNA of, of our profession and certainly not of academic health centers. And and I think now's the time when, when we've seen what disinformation really can do and help lead to the deaths of 215,000 Americans by the time we're doing this interview. Uh, I think we have to revisit all of these things. Well, uh, looking toward the next few months without a vaccine, you've been quoted in the media as predicting that these months are potentially the worst part of the pandemic. Why do you think this is the case and uh, what can we do to brace ourselves? Well, as I and I'm, and I'm glad you brought up the first part because I'm, you know, I'm trying to, you know, strike a balanced message here that things will get better. We'll be in a much better position by this time next year. Vaccines will be available, and by a year from now, it may not be completely normal, but our quality of life will be so much better than it is now. But we still have to get through this very terrible time when COVID cases are rapidly increasing, and the projections from the Institute of Health Metrics are that we're going to hit. Uh, potentially 400,000 deaths the week after the inauguration, a doubling. So this is a dark period, a dark chapter in, in the life of our country. And and unfortunately, we've got a situation where what was a public health crisis will uh, morph into a full-blown homeland security issue if, if those projections are correct. So I think we have to get ready and really take steps to protect uh, mental health as well. And this is going to be also an important role for physicians. Uh, get ready for uh, your patients talking to you in a very distressed way and, and have a low threshold for making those referrals to mental health professionals and getting them mental health counseling. And I'm advising uh, my family and, and others to, you know, have a number ready in case you need mental health counseling. It's going to be a scary, terrible time. People will be upset. Uh, uh, we'll have a lot of people getting depressed. We have knowing that is really helpful so we can get ready. Well, you have a uh, new book out called Preventing the Next Pandemic, Vaccine Diplomacy in a Time of Anti-Science. Uh, what have we learned and uh, what can we to do to prevent something like this from happening again? Well, what we've learned is uh, that all that great progress that we made in our global health goals uh, uh, for through the Millennium Development Goals, the Sustainable Development, Development Goals, and the launch of the Gates Foundation and the Gavi Alliance over the last 20 years has had great successes, but things are unraveling a bit. And they were even unraveling before COVID. So I actually wrote the book sort of pre COVID uh, because we were starting to see an unraveling due to the rise in anti-science and but also uh, things like war and political collapse and climate change and urbanization which have really accelerated and now of course COVID-19 is sort of the culminating event of all this and and one of the messages of the book is all the things I just mentioned to you war political collapse anti-science climate change guess what our our medical students our residents our fellows are not getting training in any of those things. So again, this is a call to rethink how we're training physicians, 
and uh, and physician scientists to look at that bigger picture because it's now making uh, having a huge and detrimental effect on our ability to treat patients and prevent disease through vaccines. Well, uh, thank you so much for your continued work uh, to uh, fight this kind of disinformation and make sure that we keep the focus on science. We'll be back soon with another COVID-19 update. I want to thank Dr. Hotez for being here today and sharing his perspective. For resources on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Thanks for joining us. Please take care. This content was originally published as part of AMA's COVID-19 daily video updates. Find the latest at ama-assn.org slash COVID update. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. You can also subscribe to other great AMA podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.